Dear listeners, Sai Ram, welcome to our radio series, Afternoon Satsang. This is a discussion between Radio Sai's Prem and Arvind on different spiritual topics. Every Thursday on Asia Stream, you can enjoy this live conversation. It's from 12.30pm to 2pm Indian Standard Time. The topic of today's episode is Satyam Shivam Sundaram. the life story of bhagwan sri satyasai baba and this was first featured as part of thursday live on december 19th 2013 sairam dear listeners and welcome to yet another episode of afternoon satsang as always this is prem from team radio sai and with me is arvind and we are welcoming you if you are a regular listener to our program you will know that this week it is that discussion which is most interesting to all devotees of swami the satyam shivam episode but before we start that we begin as always by offering our most humble pranams at bhagwan's lotus feet sairam arvind sairam prem and well we cannot be blamed to say that this is our most uh, exciting and interesting part this is a story that has been carrying on from the times of uh, the great veda vyasa himself legend goes that after composing the vedas the puranas the scriptures and even writing the entire mahabharata he did not have satisfaction peace of mind and more importantly that joy that is supposed to come from doing all this wonderful work and that was when the celestial sage narada told him that unless you describe the stories of the lord and you are able to partake of that joy you will not have peace and you will not have happiness because ultimately happiness is union with god and that is how vyasa came to write the bhagavatam and found fulfillment in life and so when that was the case with, uh, with veda vyasa what is it with us naturally describing his stories and his glories is a most beautiful part of this satsang you know incidentally speaking about his story you know i was just thinking they say that history is a perfect teacher a wonderful teacher studying history you get to know about the positives and negatives of the kings and the paupers and everybody of of the year right. and from then from there we can learn things that we should do and things that we should not do right. but you know history gets skewed a bit because one reason is history is written by the winners and so it's only one perspective and second reason the problem comes is even when we are aware of history we get confused as to what we should follow and what we should not follow because a victorious path need not necessarily mean the right path and a defeated path need not necessarily mean the wrong path so in order to avoid all this confusion i think we can take swami's statement where he says true history is his story because when we take his story as history there's no doubt and there's no second thought about what is right and wrong because whatever he spoke whatever he speaks is satya whatever he did and whatever he does is dharma so in that way i think his story is the best to learn all our lessons from very true even as you said that history is often written by winners mm. i'm reminded of what i saw in a documentary in bbc that was about the story of india and there he says interestingly indian history is unlike the history of the rest of the other countries mm-hmm. because here history is written by those who have gone within and he says most often you would find stories of ashoka of stories of chandragupta maurya and all of them with a spiritual bent of mind mm-hmm. because 
in this land of india winning was more than winning land and winning kingdoms and that's very interesting thing because in this particular part of history which we are talking about we are talking about the 1940s we've been speaking about just before india became an independent country and what followed after that many of these kingdoms they were losing something but they were in the process gaining something which was much much more special than what they were losing and that was because these kingdoms were being conquered by the most benign beautiful and powerful force in the universe that of the divine love of bhagwan shri satyasai baba you know previously in the satsang we discussed about how the kingdoms of sandur and chincholi right they were conquered by swami to say today we shall see how another kingdom the kingdom of venkatagiri this time was also conquered by the ever expanding ever growing beneficent love of bhagwan shri satyasai baba incidentally you know at this time he was still not yet known as bhagwan shri satyasai baba he was just shri satyasai baba and we have mentioned many times before how that few months that swami stayed in the house of the devotee sakama in bangalore you know turned out to be such an important event because many of these families actually met swami for the first time there because a lot of these kingdoms you know we spoke of chincholi which was in the district of hubli if i'm not wrong in north of karnataka uh, yeah what is karnataka now mm. but they all had a house in bangalore and the same thing was for the family of venkatgiri the kingdom of venkatgiri is actually a little about i think 100 kilometers or something north of chennai uh, what is chennai today what was madras then and uh, they also had a bungalow in bangalore and that's how they came to know of somebody like swami one of the relatives of swami visited swami when swami was staying in the house of sakama and they went and said that you should go and visit swami but an interesting thing happened there you know you could imagine that here is swami here a 20 year old young boy who's coming from a village which is not known to anybody even in south of india even and in the ni- late 1940s in, even the late 1940s and here is the king of venkatgiri mm-hmm. okay and he is not an ordinary person in fact compared to the kingdom of chincholi venkatgiri actually had a larger presence you know in those days and he was coming to meet swami they sent word to swami saying that the king of venkatgiri is come and swami's response is does he have horns ask him to wait <laughs> you know prem when you say that i was recently speaking to mr sairam mm-hmm. who is actually the grandson of right. the raja of venkatgiri the son of the second son of the king right right and he was saying that it almost took them 3 4 attempts before they could actually meet swami uh, when he was saying that i was reminded of this uh, bhajan you know that we have govinda rama jay jay gopal rama that's because one thing is the king and the family at venkatagiri were devout followers of lord rama okay the kodanda rama so that is one reason why this bhajan came if you see this bhajan there is one very interesting line it goes sulabha rama jay jay durlabha rama <laughs> right sulabha rama means rama who who is easily obtained so easily accessible and durlabha rama means lord rama who is very difficult to access you know on the face of it it looks contradictory that both these terms appear in the same line you know he how can rama be sulabha and durlabha at the same time but then when swami says he is anuraniyan mahato mahiyan that's also a contradiction when swami says that the lord is smaller than the smallest and larger than the largest again it's a contradiction but then i think that is what god is apparently filled with contradictions but this line beautifully summed up the venkatagiri experience sulabha rama because that was what they experienced with swami throughout but durlabha rama that is difficult to obtain that is what they experienced 
before they could actually have an introduction with swami they had to almost pine and struggle and strive though they were coming from a very powerful royal family but one could say that that is what actually clinched it in favor of swami for the raja because the raja would have felt that here i am such an important person here i am a dignitary but here is the swami who is not afraid of doing something like this to me I mean unless you are absolutely confident about who you are you wouldn't do this to royalty yes i i, I think th- that I, is what brought him back again and again i think so the king would have thought that you know this this swami who were has some stuff in him huh? he's standing up to me because in every way <laughs> every swami way right <laughs> look <laughs> look tiny i mean the ra- the raja was nearly a 7 footer well built and there's a picture of him in his you know royal attire with the sword dangling uh, from his uh, waist and him in that uh, fighting armor right oh my god that's a sight to see and the king was you know very very phenomenal huntsman a sportsman so there is no mistaking his physical prowess uh, it is said that he was an excellent horse rider and an even better uh, polo player right he had been educated in england and he spoke flawless english so in every sense of the term academically or in terms of physical might in terms of the influence he wielded in every way it was something really big in those days because uh, uh, venkatagiri was still recognized as a kingdom though india had won its independence uh, venkatagiri had not lost its sovereignty as a separate kingdom so he was a king and here was somebody whom the raja was soon to realize that he is the king of kings right and maybe before we proceed into the relation between swami and this family Mm. which even many many years later swami would recall so fondly mm. whenever swami would talk about venkatgiri swami's eyes would light up that's the magic between these two just a little a few remarks about this venkatgiri prince and his family you know as you said he was educated in england he played polo he played cricket his sons were captains of the andhra team then oh okay that okay, a very progressive family but mm. at the same time absolutely orthodox and rooted in the religion because the king of venkatgiri he was very very devoted to uh, lord rama and you know that was one of the uh, weird things about this family because this was a family which was so progressive in their outlook at the same time so rooted in their culture and uh, when we spoke to the second son you know the father of sairam yachendra gopalakrishna yachendra he was telling that if my sister in law would come in front of me i can't recognize her because i've never seen her you know that was the kind of orthodoxy and uh, the way they were living they've never seen the women in their own palace you know we may call it weird in the modern sense because anybody will say that but i think it's a kind of hats off for them to be able to maintain Absolutely. that kind of sanctity because that is what has been prescribed in the scriptures and i feel it has its own positives without examining which the modern generation may find it so uh, funny and difficult to understand or comprehend but what you say is really phenomenal i didn't know that this family was so orthodox and not just about the orthodoxy not just about their royalty i, I remember one of my uh, classmates mm. had on some reason gone to a place near venkatgiri mm. and he happened to visit venkatgiri where he knew a person who worked in the palace okay, okay. and he said that the benevolence of the king was unmatched mm. he was ruling over a huge land uh, area of land and after swami came and after the india became a republic and all that he could have still retained all his land but mm. he gave it away to all his people you know he just gave it off mm. and that person was saying that the regard that the family holds 
is still so high that even now if the family says we want the land back all the farmers would come and give it back you know that is how the king took care of his of his subjects and that's how the subjects responded to his love as you said even after the kingdom was taken over and became part of the indian republic the royal family continued to be called as raja rani and yuvraj the royal titles did not go because uh, though officially they had been withdrawn the love and respect that the subjects and the people had for the rulers it continued because that was the how right they were morally right. because of which they had won the love and affection of the people of the subjects correct now going back to the 1949 swami is still not gone to venkatgiri in fact the venkatgiri king and his family i think his uh, his two sons and their wives and his wife they were the no, first ones to visit uh, the first people to visit swami actually were, were the raja's right. brother right, right the raja's brother the raja's brother's wife and the raja's brother's children they visited uh, swami at sakama's house in bangalore on the 26th of june 1949 and subsequently on the 29th of june in the same year 1949 that was when the raja you know his name goes as velugoti venkata rajgopala krishna yachendra okay <laughs> you know speaking of this i am reminded usually the names in andhra are very very long i remember once in one kodai trip swami asked one one senior of mine i was not there in the trip but swami was asking everybody's name and swami asked him what's your name he said swami i am kiran swami seemed shocked so we were wondering what is it and swami said you are a telugu person right he said yes swami then only kiran what's your full name swami i am jkk kiran ah ala chepu tell like that i mean because <laughs> if you're an andhra person you can't have you a have name a that is name. less than 20 <laughs> characters long right. so so that is how you know the venkatagiri ruler his name was velugoti venkata rajgopala krishna yachendra okay. so that was his full name and we shall refer to him better as raja so okay. we can <laughs> save <know>. some time <laughs> and memory space too so in 1949 29th of june the king and his family and everybody they had the darshan of swami and the beautiful thing was as you mentioned you know it becomes more beautiful now after what you mentioned that they were so orthodox usually when we meet a stranger we are reserved and we take some time before we warm up considering the orthodoxy that the family followed it must have been an absolutely difficult experience to meet a absolutely stranger a stranger who has kept you waiting for so many days but uh, they recall fondly saying that the first moment they met swami itself they felt as if they have known each other from years from years and that was the kind of warmth that came and that is the truth isn't it i mean they knew swami not from years from births maybe because swami swami's relationship with us is not just based on years but on births of associations and so it was an instant bonding love at first sight if we can call it so instant bonding that happened between the raja's family the raja and swami at the home of sakama in bangalore right i think following that the first person to visit puttaparthi was the raja himself mm. when swami invited him to inaugurate the high school at bukapatnam we've spoken about that high school at bukapatnam how swami made it happen there was a school coming up in kotacheru mm. and there was a battle of who would get the license to run the school and swami went to madras and spoke to the authorities there you know telling that bukapatnam deserved a school more and they've been in need of a school much more than kotacheru he was an advocate right <laughs> and <laughs> you know school. interestingly when we interviewed the the raja's son mm-hmm. he was narrating about this moment when he said swami had uh, asked the raja to come and 
this interview was in telugu i was just hearing it where uh, the person who was interviewing he said so swami requested uh, the raja to come and inaugurate the bookapatnam school bookapatnam school, book school. Huh. and he said no swami did not request swami ordered my father to come and <laughs> inaugurate the school because that was the authority which swami already had on this king and that was how the king had already submitted to swami and by the command of swami he came here to bookapatnam in fact he stayed in bookapatnam he did not even come and stay in the old mandir he stayed at bookapatnam there was a guest house there government guest house he stayed there inaugurated the school and in fact even today that school has the plaque of the raja's name exactly that school is called uh, satya sai baba high school right and it replaced the samiti elementary school that existed in its place the samiti elementary school was where swami had actually studied right so it was a kind of ideal for the alumni of any institute of how you pay back to your alma mater a much bigger school with better facilities and lots of blessings of, from swami was established on the 8th of august in 1950 this is this is what happened in 1950 the king inaugurated it and uh, another thing that happened after that inauguration was the king came to prashantiniliyam not prashantiniliyam to puttaparthi prashantiniliyam was still being built and that right. is one story we have to continue take it up he visited the uh, works in progress mandir that was being built and he was shocked at the size of that surprising we shocked at the size you know even today we look at the mandir and especially the bhajan hall and i think that time there was only the bhajan hall there was no kulwant hall no and prem you are getting me wrong he was not shocked like how we are thinking as to how such a small hall accommodated everybody he was shocked why on earth is swami building such a huge hall you know <laughs> why would you ever need a hall as large ah, as that, that in puttaparthi that was not, his question <laughs> ah not like us telling oh how did swami accommodate so many people in such a small place he was wondering swami why do you need such a big place and swami just smiled because i think swami has seen both kinds of shocks where people look back at the past and tell swami how did you accommodate all those in here and people of the past look and telling swami why on earth do you want such a big place but that was a question in the raja's mind and within a few years i think he would be getting his answer as to why swami had to build such a big bhajan hall in fact i remember you know when we were students we used to sit in the portico there towards the end of the portico mr gopal krishna yachanda i think it was him he mm. was sitting in one of those chairs Hmm. Not having found a place in the in the budget hall, he was sitting outside in a chair, and Swami came and spoke to him, and you know, Swami spoke to him so fondly. So obviously, he would have realized very soon that why that mandir had to be so big. And I was just thinking, you know, when Swami just gave him a smile, maybe Swami would be thinking, you are thinking like this and asking. In fifteen years' time, you know, your son himself won't have a place to sit here. So I need like this big place. In fact, a bigger hall will be coming here, which will be gold plated on top. I mean. <laughs> Although Swami might have said, anyway, he just smiled at him. That was when you know the Raja of uh, Venkatagiri. Um, he decided to invite Swami to play host. He had enjoyed being a guest for Swami. He wanted to enjoy the pleasure of hosting Swami. So he invited Swami to Venkatagiri, and uh, Swami said yes. And I think the month of September was fixed up for the visit. In the month of September, the king decided. to send his second son because his elder son was out of station he decided to send his second son to bring swami to venkatagiri because the practice of the royal personages of in those times was that they would always send out somebody who will escort the guest home because right. he is a royal guest and that was how the raja requested his second son to go and escort swami from puttaparthi to venkatagiri not knowing that his second son who 
was very in quote scientific and an atheist who did not believe in uh, god let alone these babas and swamis he refused his father and that's the interesting thing you know this house of venkatgiri seems to be throwing up more surprises than you know here is a father who is so orthodox who is so religious who is so devoted to the lord form rama. of lord rama and his own son is an atheist and the best part is he was the recipient of the first miracle that swami did with the family of venkatgiri who the uh, atheist yeah this son gopalakrishna okay. yachendra because you know they were visiting swami in bangalore at that time he was suffering from a kind of a disorder in the skin some kind of an eczema kind of a disorder and nobody had in fact told swami about this problem but hmm. swami himself called this boy forward and rubbed that part which was having that uh, which was you know, affected which was affected and till till the time we interviewed him he never had that problem again and having received this blessing from swami he still had not developed any faith he refused his father he said that you know don't expect me to travel these 300 odd kilometers and traveling 300 odd kilometers is tough even these days traveling 300 odd kilometers must have been a real real arduous journey those days so he told don't expect me to do all this to get swami here i am not going and he says that that night he had a dream a dream in which swami came to him and offered him two luscious mangoes mm-hmm. and mangoes were his favorite fruit and for some reason you know he felt such a soft corner for swami because he offered him two mangoes in a dream you know in swami's case the statement that truth is stranger than fiction definitely comes true because can you imagine that a person who had said that i will not go and i will not travel all this distance to just get one swami to this kingdom the next day just because swami came in his dream and gave him two mangoes actually it's interesting it's not even the next day because he says in the dream he has those two mangoes okay and he wakes up at 2 o'clock in the morning ah yes with an yes. irrepressible urge to go to puttaparthi yes <laughs> yeah uh, he expresses imagine it, that <laughs> he expresses it to his father the next day no not even the next day actually 2 o'clock he wakes up and he is okay. having this urge to go to puttaparthi and he goes and again in that interview he says that he couldn't go and just speak to his father because there was protocol he had to go and tell you know send word to his father that he would like to meet him and the father would consent and that's how he would go he gives him an appointment right but this urge was so powerful that at 2 in the, in the night he goes and wakes up his father and says i want to go to puttaparthi wow <laughs> you know on a lighter side <laughs> i heard one of my friends once saying he was describing about how he got the similar urge you know when i asked him how did you come to swami because that is a nice way to start a conversation and get out some miracles he said you know it's nothing miraculous because if i tell it to you you will not feel it's anything great but i got this irrepressible urge that i must see swami and he at that time you know said when man calls nobody responds when nature calls most never respond but when <laughs> god calls you just run to him you just can't stop yourself from responding so that was the case of the uh, younger son of the raja and he agreed to come to puttaparthi to escort swami and that is how in the september of 1950 i know that we are going ahead of our timeline that is 1949 we were discussing we will come back to 1949 after completing the venkatagiri story that we have in the september of 1950 the second son of the raja landed up in puttaparthi and he wanted to take swami along with him to venkatagiri right but before sending him here is the raja giving him a command because you know in those days venkatagiri to prashantinilum must have puttaparthi must have taken at oh, least 9 10 hours right you know easily with the breaks in between it would take one full morning drive 
yeah 12 so hours definitely obviously they're not going to start back immediately they might stay there for 2 3 days so the raja sends his son with a command saying that when you return back when you start send a telegram from bukapatnam saying that you started then after that every town that you pass every uh, small town or city that you pass wherever there's a post office wherever there's a post office send a telegram that we are leaving this place we're leaving madanapalli leaving uh, karnoola whatever is the uh, the towns in between and he says when you come to tirupati and when i get the telegram from tirupati i will keep the in a welcoming party ready it's totally understandable you know prem when i'm going to bangalore also often my sister uh, comes and picks me up okay so she tells me the same thing once you are left at chikbalapur give me a call so that we start getting ready once you reach near the bangalore airport give a call so that we also start from home so that we can meet there and we are there to receive you so that you need not wait i need not wait so it's totally understandable obviously you know that is once your sister and maybe your brother in law in one car but here the king was getting ready for a huge paraphernalia he wanted to invite swami with horses and elephants and palanquins and the whole the the palace guards giving a guard of honor and so there obviously were no, he was very and there were no proper telephones those days forget right. cell phones so telegrams must have been the best way to uh, communicate right but now you know swami again he has first of all mesmerized the second uh, son and how did this mesmerism come about when he comes swami tells him indicates to him and tells you know you came all the way here for the two mangoes right <laughs> and you know the son is bowled over because though he has told his father that he has that irrepressible urge to go to puttaparthi he has not told him the reason for it he did not tell his father the king that you know swami came in my dream and gave me two mangoes because he felt that might be considered foolish you know <laughs> i mean it he felt silly to tell that i am going to puttaparthi because he came in my dream and gave me two mangoes but here was swami telling him that you came all the way here for these two mangoes right and it's, a, it's was, an interesting thing you know here is a person who's gone through a medical miracle he's had a miraculous cure but that did not move him but here was something somebody was playing with his mind somebody was playing with his subconscious existence and that was what pulled him you know that's interesting because generally we think that anything physical is what moves us but this is an interesting point because what swami can do is much much more subtler than just curing and just transforming and just creating and when he does that when it goes into that subtle frame then i don't think you have a choice to hold back exactly and in the subtle frame things might appear small for an onlooker right. but they make a huge impact i think that was the theme behind which we discussed that whole satsang on god of small things on swami being the god of small things things which appear small to an onlooker but make a tremendous impact on the person who is experiencing it so therefore the second son of the king was in total awe of swami and uh, he said swami let us leave and as you said when the first town came at bukapatnam when he wanted to send a telegram swami tells him there is no need to send a telegram sit in the car and he is in such awe of swami he just can't even think of talking or saying anything he didn't even protest and though they were the same age yeah I they were of the same age similar age uh they were of a similar age he didn't even protest saying that swami but my father has said nothing he just sat in the car and they traveled it was sometime in the evening around 5 o'clock when they actually reached venkatagiri having started in the morning and he was saying in between swami would not even let them stop for lunch or dinner because swami was materializing hot masala dosas and giving them you know <laughs> while they were driving he's saying don't worry i'll take it over the lunch you just let's go non stop or well, may i take your order sir and whatever you want and that was it swami and was providing fact, at one place he says no they stopped and swami said let's have some fruits mm. and then typically of swami he looked at all of them it was the son of the raja and there was one attendant 
mm-hmm. and another family member the, the, the three of them had come to escort swami back so he asked them what all fruits you want and he pointed to a thorny bush you know in the wild there by the roadside somebody is going he said just go and pick up whatever fruits you want wow <laughs> so kalpavriksha can we transport it wherever swami wants it and it need not even be a tree <laughs> it need not even be a tree i am i'm reminded of what swami told kasturi much later on when kasturi came and requested to swami to come to the chitravati sands saying that swami let's go for a chitravati session because everyone knew that when swami goes to the sands of the chitravati so many things manifest and at that time swami asked him do you think that swami needs chitravati sands to materialize and uh, do these miracles and then kasturi you know as if he realizes his mistake he says swami no need of chitravati sands let us use the sands in our mandir itself <laughs> yeah construction is go- was going on yeah and swami says do you think swami needs sand to do this oh okay then then swami tells him why do you hanker after such miracles you know my greatest miracle is you you are my greatest miracle and that is how you know swami wins over the heart of kasturi i was reminded of that as you said that and it, it's a very important point we always have to remember because invariably if you if we were to stop and notice our prayers we would always be asking something to get something we won't ask directly for what we want for the ultimate for what actually we are looking at you know like we say swami give me some experience swami let some miraculous thing happen to me the idea of asking for that is so that we have better faith in swami hmm. but we believe that swami if you give me an experience then from that experience i'll have faith and from that faith i'll have love you know why not go and ask swami directly for the for faith love. and love exactly so why should you ask for you know decide the route and say i have decided the and miracle for you that is because prem somehow all of us know we feel that when it comes to the world the lord knows best you know why that is happening why this uh, there is uh, fighting in this place oh the lord knows it's all his master plan but when it comes to my life i think i know better than the lord swami please swami please let 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 my father be cured of this why because swami i know you take care of the entire world but when it comes to my father i think i know better than you swami please let me get a rank in this college you know swami says bangaru for you this time failing in the exam is good for you i know it no swami you don't know this see world you'll take care but my case you listen to me i'm telling you getting first rank is the best for me failing is not good somehow we feel that when it comes to our life and our people we know better than the lord and that is why we advise him suggest him and you know that is the reason why we also feel that you know i want faith and i think swami you should give me an experience because the way you think of giving me faith is not the best way i am telling you you give me an experience i'll get faith typically a joke somebody shared with me the guy goes to the doctor and he says doctor i'm having cold but for this cold i'm taking this medicine then i have headaches in the middle of the night for that i'm taking this medicine and i'm having stomach pain i'm taking this medicine hmm. the doctor says why did you come to me then <laughs> you know <laughs> you know your problem and you know the medications too and that's exactly what we do with swami we come and say that swami i have this problem and i want this solution i have this issue i want you to settle this way rather than saying that swami take care of us exactly well a beautiful uh, digression digression coming back to this story yes so they finally reach venkatagiri after this wonderful journey when they reach venkatagiri the younger son is simply amazed because to welcome him the king himself has come his father has come there and there is an entire procession there is a band there is a trumpet and he is just wondering who on earth informed these people of all this anyway it's good that it has happened though i didn't send the telegram otherwise he felt that he would have got a pasting from his father and they are welcomed in and later on when he meets his father he tells him uh, father uh, it was a wonderful arrangement and uh, how did you exactly get the correct time when we were arriving 
He says from the telegrams. What telegrams? The father takes him and there are a set of telegrams sent from each of those towns from where the father had told them to send. The only difference being these were signed by Baba, by Swami. And that was something that the king's son noticed and he said that this is just not possible because Swami was with me all along in the car. He did not get down and send any telegram. And giving masal dosas and masal badas. <laughs> I mean, is there any oil on the telegram? <laughs> because, you know, the handwriting on the telegram, see, telegrams would be uh, communicated via Morse right, code. Right. And then the person, the postmaster or whoever is in the post office, decodes, decodes that it. Morse code, writes it in English and sends the telegram. Home, dispatches it home. The handwriting was that of Swami. How could Swami have written the telegram? He can send a telegram, but he can't write it. So, intrigued, they approached the post office at Venkatagiri and they got to know that there had been no such telegram that had arrived to the post office at all. Then how did it arrive? At his desk. Again a mystery, who was right. the postman? And it was after that that the Raja realizes that not once actually he received the telegram himself. Exactly. Every time he got back to his office, there was the a telegram on the table. Telegram on the table. And so, yes, the divine postman. Swami often says that God is the divine postman, you know. On one hand, he gets you some a mail, you open it and you read it and you see there's some bad news. You can't tell the postman what a horrible creature you are. You're getting me bad news. At the same time, he says that somebody gets an res- examination result or a child being born successfully. They tell the postman, oh, you're wonderful. Have some sweets. Why do you feed sweets to the postman? God says that, I mean, Swami says that God is just an eternal witness. Whatever you have done, he delivers to you. You know, he doesn't depend on your praise, nor does he take note of your criticism and blame. He just does his duty as a postman. But well, I think here Swami took his duty too literally. (laughs) He did literally the job of a postman delivering telegrams at the Venkatagiri kingdom. And that was another wonderful experience that was again experienced by the only proclaimed atheist of the family. Right. And Swami stayed in that palace for 15 days. But before we go into the details, maybe we'll just play out a little song which was recorded in Venkatgiri. And here is Swami singing a Tyagaraji Kirtana. We spoke about, when we spoke last time about uh, B.V. Raman and B.V. Lakshmanan, how Swami was singing with them the the classic Carnatic songs. Of Swami Tyagaraja. gave B.V. Raman the chance to teach him. And uh, he met with these twins at uh, the inauguration of the uh, Shirdi Baba temple at Gindi. That is when he had met them. So after that, B.V. Raman and B.V. Lakshmanan were regulars at Venkatagiri. And many times Swami would often and the trio would sing songs. Dear listeners, we'll take a little break. But you don't take a break because what you're going to listen to is a beautiful Tyagaraja Kriti which has been sung by the trio Swami, B.V. Raman and B.V. Lakshmanan. And it's amazing. And you can see that the dominant voice here is that of Swami. Ramani pila jite ravelani kinda raja samela ra rada vikara raja samela ra rada vikara. Thank 
So that was a recording from the Venkatgiri times, you know, when Swami used to sing this long Tyagraja Kirtanas and so many concerts Swami has given singing all these Karnatik. And uh, one of the things the Venkatgiri family says is, B.V. Raman and Lakshmanan brought Kamla Sarathi and the others from Delhi. Yeah, that was B.V. Lakshmanan. B.V. Lakshmanan. B.V. Lakshmanan was settled in Delhi, while B.V. Raman was settled in Madras. Madras, right. And B.V. Lakshmanan was the music teacher for Mrs. Kamla Sarathi's daughter. Daughters. But you know, what this Venkatgiri family shares is, it was a kingdom which was offering a lot of patronage to Indian classical music. So the who's who of Carnatic music were actually there in Venkatgiri Palace when Swami used to perform. And Swami <laughs> has sung along with the best Mildagam players and the violin players and Swami would give the concert. Really, really amazing. And uh, it's also amazing that, you know, Swami sang most of Tyagaraja Kritis. Of course, it will definitely be because the king and his family were devoted to Lord Rama. So it was natural that Swami also sang out the glories of Rama because, you know, Swami has been so open and so all-embracing in this aspect. I remember when different uh, people would visit, you know, if people from Tirupati, devotees from Tirupati had come in a large number to visit. Swami in the Bhajanal would tell people to sing uh, Shri Venkatesha Saishwara or Shri Nivasa Govinda. All, you know, Venkatesha Bhajan so that, you know, these are the uh, devotees who revere the form of Venkatesha. Give them joy that way because for Swami it does not matter which form it is. And I remember that uh, Swami used to also appreciate the sensitivity of these bhajan singers. If they are themselves sensitive to which region or which part of the world people have come from and sing accordingly, he would feel very happy. So, it is so natural that Swami sang all, all of the songs that Swami has sung, most of them at Venkatagiri, will have Rama as the main deity. Right. And in fact, there is another beautiful incident related to Swami as Rama. But before we come to that, I think... Uh, one of the other important events which happened and which actually brought the king more close to Swami was mm. that vision which he had. Right? Exactly. It was the 7th of September in 1950. Bhajans were going on and the king was actually in his puja room. Mm -hmm. You know, he was in uh, his worship of Lord Rama which he would not give up. Though he had accepted Swami as his Lord, he used to continue to do his Rama puja. This is another beautiful aspect of Swami that we discussed again when we spoke about, I think, Sheshigiri Rao, right? right? The first priest. That Swami never told you give up the form that you are worshipping and worship me. He in fact gave darshan as their Ishtadevata, as the form that they love, so that they are able to see that Lord or that God in Swami. As these bhajans were going on, Swami got up in the middle of the bhajans and went into the puja room of the king. It was considered pretty audacious because... Nobody would do that. But you know, Swami had been given all the liberties. And when Swami walked in, and when Swami walked out, the king was a totally different person. The lion had become a kitten because he was having tears in his eyes. And what he said really had everyone dumbfounded. He said that Swami had walked in, touched him. And then when he opened his eyes, he did not see Swami, the tiny frame of Swami, but the Ajanubahu, the long and large frame of Lord Rama with the bow, the Kodanda Rama. And uh, he had darshan of Lord Rama with the bow and he just was bowled over. He had no words, nothing to say. And you know what happens in such times when the mouth is unable to communicate, the eyes begin to communicate. That's what happened with the king. He had tears in his eyes. And this was an experience after which Swami was firmly installed in his heart. I think 
the idol of rama got replaced with the idol of swami because he saw no difference in them and maybe that is the reason why swami materialized a spatika and a sandalwood idol okay of lord rama for the king this of course happened later on when they had gone for a kind of a, a picnic you know there were the pelakur gardens mm-hmm. which belonged to the king to the kingdom and in the pelakur gardens the uh, swarnamukhi river meandered its way through it and along the banks of that river swami materialized this patika and sandalwood rama idol for the king and uh, that is what was kept in the kingdom and worshiped you know talking about this vision which swami gave another very interesting thing happened in the venkatgiri palace mm. you know there was one lady mrs nagaratnamma she was a widow who was very very devoted to lord rama in fact more devoted to tyagaraja than lord rama she considered herself a disciple of saint tyagaraja you know the kirtanas which, which uh, we were talking about how swami sang them so this lady you know even now if you go to tiruvayar that is the place where tyagaraja is supposed to have lived and where there is a samadhi of his and where you have this annual uh, festival oh you're talking tyagaraja about the same uh, nagaratnamma whose tomb also is by the side of tyagaraja's right. tomb exactly and she is the one who actually started this culture of uh, tyagaraja aradhana, aradhana yes which happens every year i think and we should tell our listeners what tyagaraja aradhana mahotsavam is yes please go ahead uh, yeah sure. uh, it is that festival where they celebrate tyagaraja's kritis and love for lord rama and they celebrate their devotion for lord rama you know hundreds of singers from all around the country come together and there are i think six selected compositions of tyagaraja on lord rama okay which they sing as a group so you have about 1500 to 2000 singers and he, all of and them many stalwarts. instrumentalists and so many yes, the best all the, the best violinists you know each one capable of giving a solo concert for 3 hours all such instrumentalists all such singers you know even bharat ratna ms subalakshmi and such singers too have participated in this tyagaraja aradhana they all come together and it's an en masse singing imagine 1500 top notch singers singing the six kritis six selected kritis of tyagaraja for lord rama in unison in synchronization with perfect harmony ah that is tyagaraja aradhana festival which you were saying that nagaratnamma started right and she started it and in fact she was a very wealthy widow who gave all her wealth for this samadhi of uh, tyagaraja which she renovated and she built into a mandapam tyagaraja mandapam in dirwar which is still there and to host this event year after year and not only this she was herself a very good singer and she researched into tyagaraja's work and yet she had revived so many compositions which were lost mm-hmm. in time and she was herself a repository of some of the rare kritis of tyagaraja mm-hmm. so this lady you know one day she gets a dream in which who comes none other than saint tyagaraja himself oh okay i was thinking swami ha huh? no saint tyagaraja comes and he says my lord has come and he is in venkatgiri go and see him oh okay imagine tyagaraja is saying that my lord rama has come and he is in venkatgiri go and sanctify your life by having his darshan and immediately nagratnamma she is obviously she is a very well known person even uh, for royalty so she sends a telegram to the raja of venkatgiri and she says i had a weird dream like this and this is the command i got from my guru tyagaraja what do i make of it hmm. and the raja was not very surprised he said you are so fortunate to get this command from your master he says swami is here do come and have darshan and immediately she comes to venkatgiri and she sees swami and in fact there are uh, narratives of you know how 
Swami and her sat and sang some of those Ral Tyagraja Kirtanas, which other singers would never know. <laughs> But Swami, Swami, knew Swami knew them. After all, it was sung to him, and they both used to sing. In fact, Swami also blessed her with a statue of, you know, Rama Patabishegam as a gift for the devotion. And if I remember right, uh, speaking to these, uh, uh, to the Venkatagiri family, they said that it was Swami who told her. that her wish of resting with her guru will come true oh. and uh, if today we see right next to uh, tyagaraja's uh, samadhi is the uh, samadhi of this great lady this phenomenal wonderful singer and a great devotee and it was swami's word that brought her close to her master beautiful and before we just complete this episode on vengatgiri at least as of now i'm sure we can come back and there are many more stories But before we go away from here, another important event which happened in those first few days when Swami visited, what uh, Mr. Gopal Krishna Yachinda shared is one of those times when Swami was with the entire family, mm-hmm. which was itself a miracle because I told you that they had not seen their sister-in-laws and their the other gender people in the same family. It was only when Swami was there they will all come together and sit. Oh, the men and women are never together. <laughs> right. So one such occasion when everybody was seated and Swami was there, Swami looked at the Raja and asked, "What do you want?" Mm. and the raja by then was absolutely sure that swami could give him whatever he had asked for and the raja had a very very strange request to make you know he said i would like to see my mother and okay. this was in 1950 and in 1947 his mother had passed away mm. and raja was asking uh, swami the swami i want to see my mother and swami was not the least surprised by this request or you know you know how can you ask taken me this aback, or taken huh? aback or anything swami said you want to see yeah we'll call her And Swami said, "Ratnama, Ratnama, by name." <laughs> okay, and in front of all those people gathered there, the entire family was there. This lady who had passed three years ago walks out of the wall, and Mr. Gopal Krishna Yachendra says, "It was not a dream. It was not a hazy image. It was not something like you know one person seeing only the king seeing." He said, "The whole family saw it. She came like how she was. She walked out and she sat there, and everybody spoke to her. The king took her namaskar." and then she told the king this and she said this person who is here he is the same lord rama you worship wow he said he is the rama but in nature he is krishna <laughs> he said he will try to dupe you never let go of him wow you know there were no computers those days what do you speak of the latest computer graphics even this day you cannot create an image like that which seems so realistic in real life and that is where you know god's uh, limits do not exist you know you were speaking about how uh, swami made the raja's mother the rajmata walk out of the wall i was reminded of one more little incident not little actually it's a huge incident that happened uh, exactly on that day the 7th of september when uh, swami gave the darshan of shri rama to the raja okay after giving that darshan the uh, raja walks out i think it was a day that swami decided should be a day for miracles <laughs> and swami went into a trance okay and swami went into a trance 15 minutes after that so it was the bhajans were going on so they just kept swami's body there it was stiff and i forget the name of that lady she later on sends a message to the uh, venkatagiri raja saying that stating the time it mm-hmm. was exactly at that time that in puttaparthi swami walked out of a photograph <laughs> to give darshan for 10 minutes before walking back into the photograph and you know this time coincidence it is so f- beautiful so fantastic 
thinking of it i was wondering why at all does swami have to you know leave leave his body to come out of a photograph there he can as well be giving darshan in venkatagiri as well walk out of the photograph in puttaparthi but then i feel that you know swami does all this as we discussed earlier so that we have a wide range of leelas to discuss about <laughs> otherwise we just have to tell yeah swami appeared swami appeared ditto 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 that's what happened to change the circumstances change the people make the story give it a little twist so that each one can become a story for our satsang and we can fill hours of joy here and maybe each one can have their own wish list pick and choose the miracle you want from this and you can seek you know, that's what we do for me it will be nice if we have this kind of an experience it will nice if we have this kind of a <laughs> you know an encounter but i think swami surprises everybody you know that's what when i speak to some devotees when i speak to some of my friends swami has surprised everybody in his own way you know we have sat and listened stories like this for years now and we've narrated stories like this for so long now but still swami does manage to pull out some surprise and every time he does it it's so fresh and it's so it's so beautifully refreshing perfect no wonder he uh, stated right in the beginning you have to love my uncertainty but never 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 think that my love is uncertain you know because my love for you is beyond what you can ever imagine it transcends space and time and lifetimes and that was the kind of love that was received by dhupati tirumala charlu another great devotee in the satisai mission because he is a telugu scholar a telugu poet who actually wrote the aarti as we know it today okay you know we had mr nagraj telling us of the different aartis that were sung aartis, right. history of different aartis the final aarti the om jay jagadish hare that we have today stood the test of time uh, was uh, <laughs> written by dhupati tirumala charlu tirumala char as he is also called tirumala char was a telugu pandit at the venkatagiri sansthan in the venkatagiri kingdom okay okay and one day you know during this first visit Swami said that you know there is this Telugu Pandit Tirumalachar mm-hmm. in your uh, kingdom. I know that he is uh, stuck in the floods. Tell him it will not be a problem. He can come back. He will come back safe to the kingdom. Now, when Swami made this statement, the people were amazed because they had not mentioned to Swami about the existence of this Telugu Pandit. And second thing, they had no idea where he had actually gone. He had taken leave and he had left. you know those days court uh, scholars had to take leave before going because that was their profession and when the uh, pandit actually returned to the kingdom and he got to know what swami said he was shocked he said how did swami know that i had got stranded in a flood <laughs> so when he went to meet swami they say that swami walked straight to him embraced him warmly and said i am your devi i am your devi and when swami released him from his clasp and he had a look at swami he did not see that uh, boy with the fluffy hair he saw the mother goddess and that's it it was instant devotee over there tirumalachar became an instant devotee and later on you know swami also materialized a pendant with the devi on it and gave it to tirumalachar and then there was an interesting conversation swami asked him what is the average lifespan of a person in your kingdom because he is a scholar he knows everything mm-hmm. so he says swami in venkatagiri the average lifespan for a person is 56 years swami, okay and then swami told him it will be different for you you will live a long and very fulfilling life and i bless you thus and that was how tirumalachar lived on to ripe old age of what i exactly don't know but definitely beyond 80s he lived and he had a very fruitful life 
he visited prashantilya many times and he also composed the aarti for swami you know we can see how through different connections swami is drawing people of different calibers people of different uh, vocations different professions different class in society all to him because swami is the lord who came for all not for just certain kind of people and it was now going at a very fast pace and i'm sure within a fortnight of satsangs we will also find it hard to cover comprehensively all that swami did because it is beginning to grow exponential right and before we move out of the venkatgiri experience which we are going through now maybe we'll play out one more song which is a recording from the venkatgiri palace this is actually a bhajan and uh, believers dear listeners we were so thrilled to discover this bhajan because this is such a rare bhajan and a bhajan which listening to we feel that it has been composed of late because it has got many modern touches right it's amazing to know that this bhajan is more than 60 years old and swami is singing this and people are following it let's enjoy this beautiful bhajan that was sung in venkatagiri thrilling thrilling discovery it is let us listen to this bhajan and then we shall proceed with the dasara of 1949 where many more beautiful things happened be tuned keep listening
You said that there were many many accomplished singers along with whom Swami used to sing but I think nobody would have managed to make the whole crowd join and become part, become participants in this divine romance the way Swami did. And that has been Swami's trademark ever since, you know, from then even before that. He always involves everyone. Everyone feels that I am part of it. Even people who cannot sing will feel I am sure we could hear a one or two voices like that also <laughs> in the follow even people who cannot sing will feel that yes I can sing for the Lord that is what Swami does to everybody everybody feels that we can participate in what the Lord is doing because He is our Lord yeah, absolutely many many years later when Swami was visiting Karnataka you know uh-huh. there this sect is very strong the Lingayats and they are oh, very yes. very strictly they worship only Shiva they do not uh, even Vishnu is a total no-no. Exactly. You know, they are absolutely uh, Shiva-centric. And Swami was visiting these In people. fact, you know, in fact, uh, the uh, namam or the line of vibhuti that they draw on their forehead is uh, horizontal because the Vishnu Vaishnavites put it vertical. Right. So, we'll be opposite to that also. I mean, nothing, no way they look. It's very, very orthodox. And in fact, you know, some of my friends used to say, even the ladies in the house, when they wipe the floor, you know, they will make sure that they never do a vertical, horizontal only horizontal. You know, that's how orthodox they are. And Swami is visiting this locality, which is filled with lingayats. And Swami gives a discourse, and at the end of it, what does he sing? Go in the Krishna Jai. He sings, and the whole crowd bursts out and sings. And in fact, the papers had news the next day. Sai Baba performs a miracle, Lingayats and Krishna's bhajan. <laughs> you know, that's how magical it is when Swami starts singing. That's not new for Swami. You know, as Shirdi Baba, he would do that. He would go and uh, say Allah Malik hai in temples and sing Ram Nam in the mosques. So I think he's continuing it here also. You know, that's the beauty of Swami. Uh, a few years back, we had a, a Jesuit, you know, a, r- a rabbi who came here. He spoke and he sang. He got a guitar with him. He sang and he. Do you remember I, that? I I think his name is Rabbi Geller. I think he okay. had sung in the Mandir also. Right in the Kulant Hall. And we had a multi-faith conference and right. I think it was 2005. He was, he was the participant from the Jewish community. Correct. You know, he was the rabbi who sang and you know he narrated his his experience when he was a teenager. He actually came away from his country, ran away to the Himalayas to be a yogi. Hmm. And during one of his travels around, he comes to Swami and Swami calls him for an interview and says. Why do you want to leave your religion to become spiritual? Swami sends him back to his own faith and makes him a rabbi. You know, that's the beauty of Swami. Because here is nothing should be a strict no-no for you. Or again, nothing should be too casual for you too. You can find anything you want where you are. That is what Swami is always trying to say, right? Beautiful. 
now we move back to 1949 we had to go to the 1950 so that we uh, complete at least to some extent the venkatagiri story 1949 dasara turned out to be a very very eventful one okay to start off with i think we should narrate the experience of mrs kamala sarthi right. because that was the precursor to the dasara of 1949 you know we spoke about kamala sarthi and how she came from delhi and that very beautiful moment when she looked at all those people crying and leaving puttaparthi and you know she said why would all these people leave can it be only swami's miracles and swami's uh, you know wondrous things that he was doing and we narrated that you know she said it could only be divine love which is drawing these people which is making them all pine so much and just then swami tells them you're absolutely right it is divine love and you, he pats her on the shoulder and says you're thinking along the right lines think more along these lines you will get all your answers right. yeah and you know she goes back the kind of devotee that she was at that time was she was not very sure she was definitely tending towards swami but she wasn't very sure because she was not very fond of these miracles and swami doing she was not very comfortable with that so she goes back to uh, where she comes from she goes back to delhi that's when she gets a letter from swami an in, invitation inviting yeah. her to the dasha celebrations so here is a invite and whether to go or not and that's exactly the time when her two daughters are having an examination mm and also she was not very comfortable with the idea of leaving them alone and coming because there were no other people in the house other than two male know, helpers two I male think. servants at that mm. time so she was not very comfortable with leaving them and coming so she decides that it's not right to leave them and make this visit to puttaparthi that night she has a dream and you know how interesting swami puts the dream you know it's not he could have come directly and give given her the message but the way swami puts it is so subtle and so beautiful that you would remember it and people like us would speak of it even so many years later she has this dream where she is standing beside swami in a seashore and there is the ocean in front of them and she is standing beside swami and beside that seashore there is a small pool in which she sees her two daughters learning to swim okay and swami looks at her and says you know isn't it nice that they are learning to swim before they can enter the ocean okay and she says yes swami they have to learn to swim after all and swami says yes before they enter the ocean they have to learn to swim here and she says yes swami and she says even i have to learn to swim <laughs> that's what she says and swami tells her you're already in the ocean but you're not letting them learn to you know swim that is the idea that swami gives her and she wakes up and she realizes that her attachment to her daughters were not only hampering her spiritual progress but it is not letting them learn too and so immediately she has the message that she has to go and what happens the very next day her brother turns up saying mm. that i'm here for a official visit so i will take care of your daughters you can go and visit swami and come so that's wow. how she comes to participate in the dashara celebrations you know when you were narrating this i was reminded of a little chicken soup story chicken soup for the soul book okay in that they say that uh, the eagle the mother eagle protects her eggs very fiercely guards it guards the eggs and when the eggs hatch the hatchlings are fed and nourished and nursed with all love but you know that same mother eagle who seems to have such fierce love for her little fledglings mm-hmm. at one point in time suddenly you know starts to push the fledglings out of the nest into a sheer fall of hundreds of feet below it's almost like she is pushing them to their death and as the fledgling falls around the midway point they suddenly began to beat their wings and learn how to fly so i think you know this is a message that of course uh we humans have added lot of emotions and made this a beautiful story but that is instinct for the eagle 
but it doesn't come as instinct for us and that is why we have to build it into us that this attachment is something that is not good attachment has to go you know an eagle or any other animal if you take every year they have children the children are reared up they grow big and they leave and they're gone it's not as if they are returning and they have attachment while swami says that as humans we are a step above the animals and therefore we just don't desert our parents and children we love them at the same time we should not get attached have love but no attachment be involved but not attached beautiful lesson that kamla sarthi learnt before coming to puttaparthi and at puttaparthi also you know it was one of those first few discourses which were actually recorded in great detail mm-hmm. and swami spoke about compassion the importance of karuna compassion where he said that a heart without daya is of is not a hridaya at all he also spoke on the importance of satsang and nishkama prema that is love without any expectation or attachment absolutely when i read that discourse i was really surprised because i remember sometime back when we were doing a satsang on nishkama karma uh-huh. you know we came across this term accidentally we just said that maybe what swami is actually driving us to is nishkama prema but here in 1949 swami has actually mentioned it in a discourse and it's so heartening to know that you know and we've said this before and we can say say it any number of times swami's message is absolutely the same he has never modified it filtered it or given it in a modified way it has always been in a way which is acceptable to us but the message has always been the same but we must not stop exploring because prem you know now this term nishkama prema makes so much sense and makes lovely meaning for both of us because we feel that you know this is what we arrived at at our satsang i mean nishkama prema was always there it might be used in discourses also we will just regard it as yet another term but the minute we discuss we analyze we go internal we get our experience and at the end of satsang we say possibly swami is driving us towards nishkama prema and then 10 satsangs later we read that in 1949 swami gave a discourse saying that the most important thing is nishkama prema and we are thrilled so both are important swami says god's grace is the positive our efforts is the negative both have to come together and then only the current flows in that same discourse swami also gave a lot of advice to the women and that's very interesting you know 1949 okay. huh. swami is giving this kind of advice to women that's a very progressive thought you, you would say <laughs> exactly because he told the women don't think that you are all subjugated and under the men and therefore you have to do household chores and you are not able to you know participate in any of this how i wish swami will call me also but i am not having time he says nothing the woman is an empress by herself and there's no difference between a man and a woman when it comes to the spiritual path so it's equally applicable for both that was one of the few discourses that were recorded not audio of course but in hand in text that and swami I- delivered during right dasra and i think uh, sometime around that time was the period when this appellation bhagwan was becoming more and more attached to swami exactly isn't it this was the first time ever that they said jai bolo bhagwan shri satisai baba ji ki jai you know in just a span of 6 years from satyam he had become bhagwan shri satisai baba it was so amazing because it showed that the mass public the general public were now readily accepting him as another deity not just as a miracle worker or a child who suddenly seems to be exhibiting something or seems to be possessed or a saint they began to feel that here is god and that's why the term bhagwan 
was now attached to his name and after that it has continued to remain bhagwan shri satyasai baba since going back to the 1949 dashra another interesting feature about this dashra was it was plagued by torrential rains and in fact people thought that the festival itself will not come through because you know the, the roads were flooded they were washed away but still a numerable number of people managed to be there in spite of the rain you know there is a description of uh, some of the devotees they say that within a matter of few hours how the water rose from Ex- the ankle level to the hips exactly and it didn't stop there in fact one devotee records that as swami came out of the mandir he was in waist deep water and within a few minutes the waters were rising and in fact you know the chitravati also seemed to come in spate the chitravati was in spate the, the rains were heavy and uh, the water level rose till almost swami's chest high and the water was washing by all the snakes and the bushes and the insects and everything exactly floating away everybody were trying to save their own lives <laughs> so there were snakes in the water there were other animals everybody being washed away by this flood and this devotee records that swami asked for the kumkum and other objects of worship you know kumkum hal which were used during that dashra during the dashra and he offered them to the waters and then materialized a piece of camphor from thin air lit that camphor and let it afloat on the swirling waters and within minutes the waters began to recede swami told all the devotees let's gather in the mandir that is being constructed prashantinilayam prashantinilayam mandir was not yet complete mm-hmm. so in 1949 in the half built mandir everybody gathered and they were all cold wet drenched shivering not knowing what to do that is when swami asked for two large vessels to be brought and uh, tapping the empty plates on their top swami filled one of the vessels with rice the other with piping hot rasam. spicy rasam <laughs> and so that was how all the devotees had rasam rice that night as they sheltered in the half constructed mandir right even for the workers and the devotees who had gathered there and i think that was the eventful dashara celebrations of 1949 we've spoken a little about 1950 of course when swami went to venkatgiri and that first few days when swami spent with the venkatgiri family and we said how it was such an orthodox family where they had separate quarters for the king the separate quarters for the women and in that family swami goes in and swami becomes the center of the family he installs himself not only in the palace of venkatgiri but in the hearts of the king and his sons and you know the son narrates how they used to play cricket with swami <laughs> because they were all cricketers as we said you know he was the captain of the andhra team in fact on one occasion they also narrated about how uh, when the radio went off swami gave them live commentary of the right. india versus west indies india match india versus match going on at uh, madras yeah actually his father had told him to attend on swami when he was listening to the radio and he felt that and oh, he God, said no no i don't want to miss this chance then swami went on to say and he actually remember some of the things which he said that was a time when i think uh, the cricketer hazare had twisted his ankle doing a trying to field the ball and swami okay. was giving every thing even a commentator might not say <laughs> including the feelings of the player who was hurt <laughs> you know that was that was one of the things which he narrated dear listeners before we conclude this satsang maybe one final thing that happened in 1949 because maybe the next week we will take up 1950 in detail on the 24th of december 1949 on christmas eve swami in a big way entered the life of another devotee who would be there serving swami till till 2011 and i'm speaking about dr padmanabhan the dentist 
Swami had already won over his uh, uncle, who was the head priest at the Mandir Sheshagiri Rao. Sheshagiri Rao. And uh, Swami went and inaugurated the dental clinic of Dr. Padmanabhan in Maleshwaram on the 24th of December 1949. And to think of it, Dr. Padmanabhan, we all have seen him, you know, till the late 2000s. He used to walk behind Swami when Swami used to give darshan in Vrindavan. And it was a sight for all of us. We've all seen that very gentle person walking behind Swami. And he... Swami had actually got him, you know, Swami... Swami got one, him educated. Swami got him married. And Swami also blessed his dental clinic in Maleshwaram. And now his daughter, Mrs. Geeta Mohanram. Yes. She continues to travel around the world and regale audiences with her wonderful experiences. And in fact, we also spoke about how the first Akhand Bhajan was held at their residence. So, here was Swami now taking the relationship to a next level where, you know, he became part and parcel of everything that was happening in this household, the education, the children, the career. And so, it is natural that when we later on see the important role that Dr. Padmanabhan played in Swami's mission, it is easy to understand how he became such a staunch and firm devotee of Swami. So that, dear listeners, brings us to the end of this week's Afternoon Satsang. Offering this program and our efforts at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet, this is Prem from Team Radio Sai. With me is Arvind from Team Radio Sai. And we offer this as always at the Lotus Feet of our dear Swami. And any feedback, dear listener, that you would like to send us, do write to us at listener at radiosai.org. Sairam, you just heard an episode of our radio series, Afternoon Satsang. This is a discussion between Radio Sai's Prem and Arvind on different spiritual topics. And the topic of today's episode was Satyam Shivam Sundaram, the life story of Bhagwan Sri Satya Sai Baba. This was first featured as part of Radio Sai's Thursday Live at 12.30 p.m. on December 19th, 2013. We hope you enjoyed it. Your comments and suggestions are very important to us. Please mail them to listener at radiosci.org. Next week, same day, same time, will be the continuation of today's episode. Stay tuned. Thank you and loving Sairam from Prashant Nilayam.